more protests at the state house as the debate continues over two controversial bills dealing with education. We'll talk with Senate Education Chair Jeff Rotz and State Senator J.D. Ford. Plus, we hear from House Speaker Todd Houston about the scrutiny he's faced and the lucrative job he just stepped down from. All that plus the latest discussion over masks in school. Now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks so much for joining us. It was an interesting week at the State House for Speaker Todd Houston, who faced pressure to step down and ultimately did step down from his lucrative job as an executive at the College Board amidst the controversy over legislation dealing with what can or can't be taught in Indiana schools. It's just one of a handful of controversial bills dealing with education now in the hands of the State Senate, including a separate bill dealing with transgender athletes. Kristen Eskow has the latest. Dozens rally for transgender rights as lawmakers consider banning transgender girls from participating in girls' school sports. The bill passed the House last month and is now being considered by the Senate, where lawmakers heard public testimony Wednesday. It would harm children in Indiana and further marginalize transgender youth. It's not a bill to punish anybody. Everybody has an opportunity to play sports. It's not the only education bill being considered that's generated controversy. Another proposal that may move forward would limit what concepts could be taught in schools regarding race, gender, and ethnicity. It would also require certain classroom materials to be posted online. I asked Senate Education Committee Chairman Jeff Rotz why he may allow both bills to advance. Occasionally there are uh, pieces of legislation that are controversial that have to be dealt with or there's a constituency that has to be dealt that believe it has to be dealt with. Instead of addressing the teacher shortage, instead of addressing student mental health, we're getting sidetracked with all these bills that are moving through the process. Also this week, House Speaker Todd Houston resigned from his executive role at the College Board as activists and an online article raised questions about his position and support of the school curriculum bill. Were you asked or encouraged to step down? No, it was great. It was, we had, again, my decision, it was, uh, it was, uh, they've been nothing but supportive. I knew I needed to make this decision. They were extraordinarily supportive of me. It's an awesome organization filled with amazing people, and uh, it was just the right time. So it's just a coincidence that days after you were getting on your involvement with some of these education bills that you resigned with no notice? I felt, well, again, there were a lot of conversations. Again, I felt nothing but support and, and just beyond grateful and thankful. So, uh, uh, but, you know, I was ready to, to move on. Will the news about Speaker Houston stepping down from the college board impact the future of 1134? Uh, I read that today, uh, and so I have no comment on that at all. I don't, I don't think there's any connection whatsoever, uh, but, but that, I have no comment. Do you have any thoughts about that situation and, and, and you know, the potential for conflicts among lawmakers, you know, like yourselves or Speaker Houston, who are citizens and lawmakers? I have no comment on that. The, the, let, me, let me at least say that uh, the General Assembly is set up as a part-time uh, job, and the best people are the ones that work in the areas of which they participate. So I came from a, a form of education. I, I work in education. Of those who came from local government that participate in local government, it gives us a heads up and an intricate understanding of what happens in those areas. And, and it can be looked at as a conflict of interest, but routinely people do not vote on specific pieces of legislation because of their past and where they've come from and potentially could benefit them. 
Kristen Eskow reporting there. Democrats, by the way, were critical of Chairman Rotz for briefly prohibiting people from filming that hearing this week. Also in a statement on Speaker Houston, Indiana Democrats said Speaker Houston is a walking conflict of interest in their words. And while him parting ways from the College Board is good for education overall, House Bill 1134 is still alive and risks putting Indiana's teacher shortage in overdrive. Again, Houston's office said the decision was unrelated to any legislation. And we got this statement from the College Board saying, quote, Todd Houston concluded that the demands of both his role here and his elected position were not sustainable, that he wants to devote more time to his work in Indiana. They say we're grateful for his nine successful years here at the College Board. And certainly we'll keep you posted on those education bills as they go through the legislative process. All right, another hot button issue in education this week. When and how should schools get rid of their mask mandates? Other states making that move now with numbers dropping. Our numbers also coming down quickly here in Indiana. While we don't have a statewide mandate, it is a decision that Indiana school districts are grappling with at the local level, even as the experts recommend waiting to make that move. Max Lewis has more. Despite recent COVID numbers dropping, officials say now is not the time to be relaxing restrictions. For Indiana, it's definitely too soon. It's great that our numbers are coming down, but we're basically looking at where we were at the beginning of December, and that's still really high. Shandy Durth at the IU Fairbanks School of Public Health says Indiana is in a different place than the states like Connecticut and New Jersey, where school mask mandates are set to end soon. For one thing, only 17% of Hoosier kids are vaccinated. Since our kids are under vaccinated, we definitely need to keep the masks on while our numbers are this high. Dr. Chris Belcher, who specializes in pediatric infectious disease, says masks in schools help prevent transmission because children spend so much time around one another. In school, you might have that same desk mate for, you know, an hour or two at a time. I don't think it's fair to say that, that just because it hurts kids less frequently than adults that we can ignore it. Edinburgh Community Schools recently extended its mask mandate into early March. The superintendent said in a statement, the decision was made because the state doesn't require contact tracing if all students are masked. If you're inside, wearing a mask is a good thing. It's not a hard thing to ask for people to do. Shandy Durth says the masks will likely be able to come off in a couple months, but until then, she says it's a good idea to keep them on. This will become endemic probably you know later this year, and so we'll have to adjust how we deal with COVID going forward. But right now, it's just a little bit early to say, let's go ahead and look at removing the mask mandate. Max Lewis reporting there. Max, thanks. Let's talk about Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita in his role. He often files lawsuits from issues related to the pandemic to the lawsuit against Google we told you about here in recent days. Well, now the AG is facing a lawsuit of his own. The ACLU of Indiana suing Rokita after the AG blocked journalist Abdul Hakim Shabazz from a news conference last October and denied his press credentials. Shabazz is the editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org and has offered political commentary for several news outlets, including for us right here on In Focus. This week, Shabazz is calling for transparency. We just think we have a really, really strong case, and it's unfortunate uh, that it had to come to this, and the taxpayers would have to put the bill uh, for something that the attorney general could have easily avoided by uh, just letting me in, in a news conference, just asking questions. Now, in response, the AG's office said, quote, we will defend and potentially counterclaim against this suit aggressively since we're confident that our actions are legally sound. In Washington, the administration still closely watching the situation in Ukraine. The president, by the way, set to give his first State of the Union a couple of weeks from now. 
This is lawmakers continue to investigate the attacks of January 6th. More subpoenas going out to members of former President Trump's inner circle just days after former Vice President Pence said President Trump was wrong about his role that day. And as some Republicans and the RNC try to make the case that January 6th was, in their view, legitimate political discourse, Alexandra Lamone has the latest. So far, the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has issued more than 100 subpoenas and has conducted more than 500 interviews. But the Republicans seem to be having a limbo contest with themselves to see how low they can go. It's no secret Democrats and Republicans disagree on a lot, including how to characterize the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The Republican National Committee called it legitimate political discourse. They seem to have reached rock bottom. On Capitol Hill, there's disagreement even among top Republicans. The word insurrection is politically charged propaganda. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio says January 6th was a riot. He says it's fine for Republicans to have differing views and says the real problem is the scope of the committee's investigation. The committee so far has issued more than 100 subpoenas, the latest to Trump advisor Peter Navarro. It is also targeting people like members of the RNC. Up until now, the committee's work has happened behind closed doors, but in the coming weeks, it's expected to become more public, including with public hearings. In Washington, Alexandra Limon. Okay, Alexandra, thanks. This week, Senator Todd Young was asked if he considered January 6th legitimate political discourse. He said, quote, I don't know any American that regards it as legitimate political discourse. I certainly haven't encountered them here in the state of Indiana. In the meantime, this week, Senator Young joined fellow Republicans calling on the Biden administration to protect communities from violent crime. Several cities, including Indianapolis, set new homicide records last year. This week, Republican lawmakers in Congress accused Democrats of being soft on crime. Pleading with this administration to step up, to lead. The Biden administration says it's working to get illegal guns off the streets. Democrats say reducing violent crime is a top priority, despite these recent attacks from Republicans. Well, this week, we took a closer look at the issue of bail reform. It's been a hot topic this year at the State House. There's been a push to crack down on nonprofit organizations that pay to bail people out of jail, the focus of our two-part investigation this past week. But State Senator Greg Taylor, who serves on the Corrections and Criminal Law Committee, and Committee Chair Senator Michael Young, do agree that despite their political differences, they both believe that not everyone in the system should have to pay bail. We have more of that discussion, more of those interviews on our website. Well, coming up next, we'll talk with our panel about the news at the State House this week involving House Speaker Todd Houston's other job that he just walked away from. Plus, legitimate political discourse, those three words, uh, prompting a lot of discussion over the events of January 6th from the former VP's role to what Indiana Republicans are saying about it now. Welcome back. Let's bring in our panel now. With us on Zoom, former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, and 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. And here with us again in studio this week, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner-Chartier. Good to see you both. Mike, I'm going to start with you. You served in the legislature, and as you know, obviously questions always tend to come up about lawmakers and their real jobs and the conflicts that can cause Speaker Houston 
walked away from a pretty lucrative job this past week, just days after he'd started to face some, some pointed criticism about those potential conflicts? Well, first of all, it's an age-old dilemma. When you have a part-time legislature, you want people with a lot of expertise on the subject to be part of the discussions. Um, but at the same time, there, there are possibilities for, for conflicts. I worked at Anthem when I was a legislature, in the legislature, and so I made sure I didn't serve on any health committees or insurance committees or anything like that. I will tell you that Todd Houston is about as clean as they come in politics, and I have absolute confidence in him. The only thing I question is his judgment. I would have given up the speakership and kept the $500,000 job. <laughs> But that's just me. A lot of people might have made that choice, right? Uh, Jennifer, your response to all that and what impact might this have on some of these controversial education bills that have come over from the House that are now in the Senate? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I actually agree with my knowing Speaker Houston. Um, I think he's he's uh, he's a good guy. He made he probably made an error in judgment in voting for this particular bill. I should note too that I recently started with a new organization. Speaking of outside conflicts, uh, <laughs> where we actually weighed in on this bill and other K-12 um, pieces of legislation. But I think the larger theme we're seeing this session is just a lot of these bills are searching for problems that don't exist right now. 1134, the the trans athlete bill. And what I hope in the coming, what, two weeks left in session is that we're going to be able to put those to the side and focus on real issues. Yeah, as Jennifer mentioned, uh, you guys here with the panel, but all of you have other jobs as well, obviously, uh, just like the legislature in a way. Uh, Tony, uh, what about this concept of the citizen legislature? Is it time Indiana rethinks that? Other states have? Well, I don't think we need a full-time legislature here. It's worked fine. I'm sure there's a little hiccup here and there. Uh, in this case, uh, you know, Speaker Houston, he's a, a, a wonderful uh, public servant, has been his adult life, either uh, in various roles in education or serving the state as a state rep, uh, worked uh, in the Department of Education as the chief of staff there. He knows education and he knows uh, the state is a great leader, and uh, his judgment is always sound, as Mike said. Uh, in this case, I think, you know, it's it's two full-time jobs, really. Being speaker, it's, even though it's a part-time legislature, that is a full-time job, and it's becoming more and more that for all legislators, but especially if you're the Speaker of the House. So yeah. I think, you know, uh, he, he was doing uh, good at both, uh, uh, obviously, but that's it's just uh, weighed on him, and then I think he made the right decision, and he made the right decision for voting okay. for 1134. This is a real issue. These parents across okay. the country, and I've said it before, they're not making this up. This is no bogeyman. This is uh, a Marxist ideology that's infiltrating okay. our schools. Not every teacher, not every school, but uh, something has to be done, and we're bringing more transparency with that bill, and so mm -hmm. it is the right thing to do to move that bill. Robin, your response? What's, what's your view on all this? First off, we're having a crisis in finding people that want to be public school educators. This bill will discourage people from wanting to do that. I don't know why we have to, and as Jennifer said, we are running around looking for issues so we can tag legislation on it. Luckily, some Republican senators have said that this isn't the way we should go. But are we gonna erase history? I mean, for a person like me, where three-fifths was a part of our constitution, that's what we were based upon whenever the founding fathers made our nation. Are we not gonna talk about that? That's history. That's a fact. So to start talking about eradicating that is not Marxist. It's America's history, and we ought to confront it straight on and make our nation a better nation. Okay. Let's turn to our news, uh, the news in Washington this week. Mike, we talked last week about uh, former Vice President Pence's comments uh, last week about former President Trump. Your party's still kind of hashing it out over this question about how to look back at the events of January 6th and, and whether or not to, 
to call it, quote-unquote, legitimate political discourse. Senator Young uh, saying we shouldn't call it that this past week. Others have had a different view. Well, if I were writing the, the local version of Profiles in Courage, my first two chapters would be about Senator Young and John Hammond, who's a local attorney and the, uh, one of the members of the Republican right. National Committee from Indiana. It takes great courage to stand up against the wave. And John Hammond voted against the censure motion in, at the uh, RNC meetings in Salt Lake City. And uh, Todd Young came out very publicly with Christiane Amanpour, I'm sure other national people as well, saying um, it was certainly not legitimate and he referred to it as an insurrection. And that's the way we should be talking about January 6th. Jennifer, this week we also saw a congressional candidate from your party seek to get Congressman Jim Banks off the ballot, uh, citing the 14th Amendment, saying Banks supported an insurrection by voting against the election results certification. Is there a chance Democrats could overreach here on some of this? a chance of overreach. I don't think this is going to be successful. And we've actually seen this in other congressional districts around the country. This, um, I think it's, a, it's actually a decent chance to elevate the issue that there are people out there who, to Mike's point, like you've got two different parts of the Republican Party. Uh, reality, which is that this was an insurrection on the Capitol, and then this fantasy, like rewriting of, of history and, and narrative. And, and I just can't see that that part, that part of that is going to win long term, but it will probably be successful this year. Tony, what were your thoughts on, on Vice President Pence's uh, remarks last week saying President Trump was wrong? Well, what's been lost here is, is what the, the debate really should be about. And that, when you go back to January 6th, um, you know, it, it was foolish and, and, and terrible that, that some people uh, went into that Capitol and on the Capitol grounds and into the building and caused damage uh, and harm. And nobody doubt, nobody uh, uh, disclaims that. I, I uh, agree with that 100%. But this was not an insurrection because it was not an attempt, an organized attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. And 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 none of the people that are uh, now being attacked, inclu including Congressman Banks, um, were any part of an insurrection. So this is just uh, reaching, and it, I think it will go too far when there's real issues with inflation. At, at uh, higher than it's ever been in, in, in the last 40 years, when there's uh, Russia about to invade Ukraine and China uh, about to do the same to Taiwan. There's real issues and Democrats are reaching too far. As far as uh, Vice President Pence's comments, uh, I, I think they're being misconstrued. That, that whole argument is being misconstrued because there was a, an attempt by 11 uh, senators to create an elect an election commission, electoral commission, to look at all of the discrepancies and all of the unconstitutional uh, acts in different states for a, for a 10-day commission to be done by January 20th. That's what was supposed to happen that day. And so anybody that calls for it, that calls it an insurrection is is wrong because the mo okay. there was no motive for an insurrection when, when we wanted to get to the bottom of the, the mistakes made okay. in, in different states. R Robin, your response to that? Tony? How many Republican members of Congress or senators stayed on the floor on January the 6th with their welcome guides to greet the visitors that they claim were coming to Washington? As one member said, they look just like tourists coming on vacation. Those guys bolted like crazy. They were chanting, hang Mike Pence. They were storming the Capitol. You guys claim all the time that you're protectors of the police. They fought the police. 
They Brett, sprayed them with bear spray. No, I don't know. Like, I listen I to you listen week after week, Tony. Tony, I've listened to you week after week. Let me get my point in. Okay. Time and time again, you guys bolted on that. And that's wrong. No, I'm saying it wasn't an insurrection, and that's what everyone is trying to call it. Tony, they were trying to overthrow the government. Why else would they come there with the mission to shut down the vote? Okay, we got to leave it there. That's trying to overthrow the government. Certainly, there'll be a lot more. They lost the election. Certainly, there'll be a lot more discussion about January 6th, and as Tony mentioned, about Russia and Ukraine and a lot of other big items in the news as well. Coming up next, 10 years now since Indy hosted the Super Bowl, so could it happen again? Stick around. We'll be back right after this. It's Super Bowl weekend, and today we're remembering the Super Bowl 10 years ago right here in Indiana. Last weekend, organizers of Super Bowl 46 in Indianapolis gathered at Lucas Oil Stadium to mark the occasion and to answer a question they hear pretty often. Could Indy one day host the big game again? As we look at the event calendar going forward, I think we could definitely uh, host another Super Bowl. If we ever have the opportunity again, uh, this city will turn out the same way. They will still embrace that event, uh, the next Super Bowl, and hang on to it. That choice ultimately comes down to team owners. The league already has its host cities set through 2025. Stick around. We're back right after this to wrap things up. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Robin, I'll start with you. Gretchen Carlson, who led the fight for women in the workplace, now women will be able to go to court if they feel harassed in their employment environment. Great job. Tony. Uh, Winners are Cincinnati Bengals fans, and I hope they're successful Sunday evening. A uh, lifelong buddy of mine, Tony Wilbert, who watches the show, is one of them. Loser, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. The way he's handling the, the truckers' protest is uh, deplorable. We'll see if some of those similar uh, trucking protests impact the Super Bowl. There's been talk about that. Jennifer? Uh, my winner has to be our fellow panelist, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, who not only got to take on Todd Rakita, who deserves every bit of the lawsuit, but gosh, is there anyone happier in Indiana to make headlines than Abdul? That, that's a good point. Mike? Uh, two winners. First of all, uh, Senator Todd Young and Republican National Committee and John Hammond. They stood up for our republic in a very courageous way. I tell you, if it came to a fight over politics or a fight in the alley, I'd want both of them with, to have my back. Hey, great to have you both with us again. Hope you enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see you again next weekend.